everybody, welcome to FinTech Insider Interviews. I'm Sam Mall. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Lowell Putman right here in the Platt offices in New York City. We are both extremely tired. For good reasons. <laughs> Different reasons. Different I like your reasons much better than mine. We're not going to go into those whatsoever. Um, one, congratulations. Thank you. It's been a, a probably a very interesting, fun, and hard time all at once rolled up. It's definitely the the newest experience I've had over the past couple of years. You know, it's a little bit of growth, a little bit of change, new round, but it's all incremental. And then all of a sudden, bam, this thing happens. Um, you know, you talk about it every time you raise money, what your exit plan is. You don't, you don't really plan for it, right? You write, make a slide for it. Are there books for an exit plan? Is there books for an acquisition? There's a book for everything. I don't know. There's a book for everything. I don't read it. I, and, and, <laughs> I was going to say you could write it. There might be an but idea. No, it, no, I don't think anyone should read it because every acquisition is different. And, yeah. and ours in particular was really different than most out there, which I think is, is a great thing about it is there wasn't a playbook. So we had to write our own for this. Um, so it's, I think it's a testament to Quobo team and the Plaid team that we've written the whole playbook ourselves and didn't go in with a lot of ego because we're figuring it out every day. Did the beard come as part of the acquisition because you've been working so hard or just... Hey, it looks good. The beard, um, I don't know if it looks good as much as it it hides parts of my face, which my wife likes. Uh, But when I had it, and then the acquisition started, and you you can't shave it halfway through, right? So it's a playoff beard. And so now I'm just too lazy to get rid of it. So let's dial back for the listeners who don't know, uh, because we do have an international audience. Um, so Quovo, one, the idea for it, where did it come from? Because you came out of the industry. Yeah, I, yeah, I worked at Lehman Brothers, worked at Barclays after that. Um, the original idea for Quovo um, was going to be a B2C company. And it was yeah to, really? to hook up people's brokerage accounts, take people's trading history and their investments, and then help people make the right decisions based on what's worked in the past for them and for others. Um, it's sort of similar to the Plaid story, where we thought we'd aggregate data and then give a tool back to consumers. And then in 2012, right when we were planning what the go-to-market strategy would be, there was this explosion of other companies, not doing the exact same thing, but adjacent things. So yeah. SoFi, Betterment, Wealthfront, like the, the whole, I don't know what version we're in, whatever that wave of fintech is in 2012 and 2011, that was all really taking off. And we realized um, that we were sitting on an infrastructure company, not an app. And we realized that we had you know, customers coming to us instead of us having to go acquire individual consumers. And so before we launched, we realized that we were piping. We were picks and shovels. So uh, we had one big early customer that hated their current aggregation provider. And Did anybody like their aggregation provider back in the day? Nobody likes their aggregation provider today. It is it's a, it's a thankless business because stuff breaks all the time. We're probably like a 40% maintenance tech company and 60% new features and whatever else, which is never the graph you want to show. You, you want to show maintenance as like this tiny sliver of your dev resources. Oh yeah, we're refactoring old code. But when Chase breaks for us, that's you know, yeah. a lot of work. So we're a maintenance um, you know, c- company here. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's a thankless job. Things always break. Uh, but being honest about it was what got us some of our early customers, right? We said, hey, we've got eight connections. We'll build another 800. We can't do it without your help. And they're all going to break at some point. And we found enough people that liked that honesty that they gave us credentials and we we built mainly investment-focused stuff. So compared to Plaid, which started very bank-focused and very uh, bank payments-focused, ACH-focused, we were much more investment-focused, uh, insurance-focused, sort of the other end. And then over the years, both of our businesses kind of converged closer and closer together and then led to an obvious you know outcome. Um, 
So, so on the acquisition, when you go through something like that, I mean, again, we talked about it, it makes sense, right? With, with Plaid, sitting there in San Francisco with Zach and the team and focus really on the consumer end to get checking mm-hmm. and saving and that aggregation. And you really focus on wealth management here in New York. So you got the two coasts, you got really the two major components yep. of financial eyes and bringing them together. But still, it's challenging to go through something like it's, that and plan it, for it. It's it's really, really challenging. And, and uh, Zach and I got together last fall and we realized that this was... This is the only time we can do it. And we'd met before and we discussed the synergies the companies had, but um, honestly, we were both about to sort of outgrow each other from an acquisition standpoint. Um, but, you know, Zach had access to capital and it built such a large business and Quovo was about to raise a Series C that th- this was the time to actually do it at a, in a number with a structure that, you know, people could, could work around. Um, so it was a big leap of faith um, and we decided to do it quickly. That was the other thing. We figured, okay, let's make this as hard as possible. Let's get let's get a company with two hundred people to buy a company with hundred people, with <laughs> oh, with overlapping clients, yeah. clients who'd left one for the other, and vice versa. And sales teams have been selling against each other like crazy. Um, so we said, let's just do it really quickly. Let's rip off the bandaid, and if we get it done, we get it done. So um, we said we can do this whole thing in forty five days, and the lawyer said, absolutely not. Um, ended up taking like fifty five, maybe sixty. That's days. still incredible, but. So we just we pushed it through. We we pre-negotiated a lot of stuff. We just literally got together over breakfast and hammered out a lot of the points for the deal early on. Um, so we weren't going back to the negotiating table, which I think is what kills a lot of acquisitions. Halfway through, you're negotiating the deal that you already started doing, and so we just got all that out of the way. Um, and the best part was, I get along great with the other founders, and and my co-founders get along well with the senior people there. But really, at the the junior level, the engineers on the Plaid side and the Quovo side just wanted to work together. And that's when you know it's going to work because exactly. the reality is they're doing the lifting. Exactly. And they're really doing it. And if, they're, if you have that, yeah. you know, well, they're Plaid and we're Quovo. Well, also, both of us have been growing so quickly that half of the company had been at the company for less than a year. So now, now we're about a quarter into the acquisition and half of Plaid has had half of its time with Quovo as part of it. So the acquisition is already a huge piece of people's time here, which is something that we forgot because Zach and William and Nico and I, we've all been living this business for so long, but we've got people who've been here for six months and that's half their time yeah. as post-acquisition. And we've already hired 30 people this quarter and they only know us as one company. And so that speed has actually helped smooth out all the culture differences. So I haven't even asked this question yet. I just thought of it. Yeah. Um, again, a large part of our audience is over in Europe. Um, I love how many have actually said, so played. And I'm like, it's not played. It's not played. It's not played. I, I liked it when we were competing with them, but now that we are them, no, we played. have to remind everyone that it's played. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> played. Um, what is it? I sound like uh, Stewie. Played. Um, can you give like the 30 second, if, you, if you're going to a, a bank, yeah. you're going to one of your clients, explaining what it is y'all do. So, uh, Plaid and Quovo uh, are tools that provide customers the ability to link their financial accounts to an app or another financial institution. Simple as that. It is your ability as a consumer or small business to share your banking information or financial account data with a third party. Um, so if you've linked an account to Venmo or you have attached uh, uh, your bank account to Betterment to fund or your uh, wealth management account to Wealthfront to do a holistic financial plan, you've had to use a service like ours. You've used Quovo or Plaid. And so, um, you know, back in the day, we had the the aggregators. I'm doing that nicely, right? Because, yeah, sure. okay. I mean, 
everything evolves. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we had the screen scraping. Yeah, we're, we're we not doing that. anything that new. Look, our, our business has been around for 20 years. The first version of it came out in the late 90s. Uh, there was a first attempt at open banking with the OFX network that Intuit Microsoft Money tried to create and got really good adoption uh, back in the day. Those pipes have kind of died because it's been 20 years. Uh, and everyone that worked on those pipes at an institution isn't working there anymore or is working on something else. And so then there was this big gap where you're right. The, there were a couple aggregators that uh, were doing screen scraping, web crawling uh, in a pre-API world. And the number of apps that existed to even use those services are pretty small. So there was this real supply-demand asymmetry there that the, even if the tools worked okay, and I think they only worked okay, no one really cared to use them. And now, finally, we have A, better tools with more of an API economy, and then B, a lot more demand because we've got more startups on one side and then more financial institutions on the other side that see the value of this aggregated data. So in, from Europe, we have PSD2, we have open yep. banking. I mean, one of the co-founders of our company co-founded Monzo and Starling. So it's this whole concept of, well, in Starling's case, it's a marketplace, mm -hmm. right? With Monzo, it is. How do we connect and do that? I can't tell you how many times I get asked at every flipping conference. So the U.S., open right, banking, right. Yeah. are we going to have PSD2? What are we going to have? So I'm curious to hear from you what your opinion is. And then, of course, I'm going to tell you mine. Okay. It's our podcast. I guess. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so what so, do you think? So uh, I don't think it's going to happen here. Um, I agree. I think uh, this is not a top-down <laughs> country for this kind of stuff. Uh, it's market-driven, um, isn't it? Don't you think? Exactly. And, and the biggest banks got ahead of the curve. That if they had locked down their own data in a bad, ugly way, then the regulators would have gotten involved. But a couple of years ago, the biggest banks got smart, and they realized they're not going to put walls around customers' data. Regardless of who technically owns it, you think you own your data. Yep. And if Chase disagrees with you, you're going to go to Wells Fargo if they see the world differently. So it's become an industry-first approach. Um, they've made great strides at building APIs that allow for much safer distribution of data than traditional screen scraping. So um, the industry is solving its own problems. That said, all right, let's say we've got the top 10 banks have budget to do this. The next 90 banks yeah. are struggling, yeah. and then there's 9,000 other ones that can't even take that first step. They've got someone's brother-in-law managing their entire IT system. They are not building an open banking API. Damn it, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Damn it. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what happens if there are 9,000 banks. Yeah, I mean, no. If we keep doing what we're doing, which isn't ideal to take credentials, I would love to never see another credential or password for the rest of my life, but I don't know how that's going to work for you know Bank of Danvers, Massachusetts, where, where my desk money is. Yeah, it's uh, it, it'll evolve and we'll we'll get there. But right now, I would agree with you, right? I mean, the reality in the U.S. I, I said this at a conference yesterday. Um, really, time the difference between the U.K., for example, in the U.S. and the banking system. Uh, Forty-seven hundred banks, I think, and another six thousand credit unions, and and that's at the lowest point since nineteen thirty-six. Yes. So it's still freaking enormous, you know. And and the scale of all those different players is all over the place. I mean, you know, y'all have great customers, and and I think. That's the thing that really encouraged me, um, and I knew that Zach and y'all were going to hit it out of the park. Was when I saw the bank names starting to come in, yeah. and they're like, "Okay, look, yeah. you know, if it's Chase, if you're talking with City, if you have these players coming in, you've pretty much set the bar. You've won the game." Yeah, it's. I, we get some credit for it, but honestly, the banks have changed their mind. I, they, they, yeah, they, I mean, it, yeah. I, I can only sell so well into the innovation team because the innovation team at City is going to adopt cool new stuff. It's getting the you know, non-innovation team, the dis-innovation team, the people who are running cards and autos and the real traditional lines of business to say, wait a second, outside data makes me better at my job. And 
giving my customers the ability to take their data elsewhere means they'll trust me more as their primary relationship and they're willing to take that risk. Yeah, I'm gonna look right at the camera when I say this. If I recall, City had about, now they are global, but I believe the number's 30,000 compliance officers. 30,000 compliance officers. And yet, if you're able to get in there and do this, you're proving the model. You know, you're proving that the walls have come down, but the data security is still there because the reality is we say the walls have come down. Security is everything. I was actually looking at some of the signs you have up all around here. Yeah. And I felt like I was when I was back in the Navy, right? Yeah. Like loose lips and ships. <laughs> yeah. What computer are you bringing here? So, I mean, that is everything for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, the, the, the scary thing about our industry is that a, a breach of Plaid would be catastrophic. A breach at our competitors would be almost as bad yeah. because the faith of the entire industry has to stay strong. This isn't saying that Plaid's better than the competition. It's saying that aggregation as a whole is a safe way for you to interact with new apps and new services. So we all take it really seriously. Um, I know the banks don't feel this way, but I think that aggregating, not in the, in the normal sense, but aggregating the number of places where logins are actually happening reduces the surface area of attack for a bank. So I don't want my stepmother going to log in to her Bank of America account from six different coffee shops. I'd rather she uses an app where that login is happening from Plaid servers. And so I'm able to take six to one, the number of points of attack from my stepmother's accounts, just down to us. And I feel a lot safer with us doing the login because we're whitelisted. Bank of America knows who we are, and that's a really safe connection. Yeah, I guess that, that concept, the visually, right, the banks having the walls, and it's not that the walls are coming down. You, you don't want a million gates around that wall, right? Exactly. You want, you want a choke point in a it, good way. In a good way, exactly. Every time you log in to your bank account from wherever you are in the world, you're opening another tiny door, and Bank of America has to maintain that door, and they have to let you do it. But we've got a huge door, and there's a ton of data passing through that door, but at least they can watch it in one place. And so from an InfoSec standpoint, I think we're a huge asset to the banks. Yeah. Um, they don't necessarily agree with me. <laughs> That's well, they also didn't agree that AWS and cloud was going to be the way forward and that they were going to, yeah, th- oh, love the head roll. Agree, right? Yeah. So we we uh, evolved yes. past that. Yeah, I, I think mean, we're getting there. Yes. In you know, 2014, we just got, I got slapped down by a major insurance company in 2014, right after we launched, to say they will never use us for that. And then in 2015, they still slapped us down. In 2016, we got slapped a little bit less hard. And this year, it's more like, like a love tab. I think that I think this is the year we can actually get there. Amazing. But honestly, it is five years. It's five years of going back every year and saying, yes, we are safer. Um, and then, you know, you, you keep chipping away at it. Yeah, that's the that's the business model. I mean, that's what you sign up for when you go into this space. Um, one question before I jump into what we have a series of questions we ask everybody. Okay. So it'd be fascinating to see what you come out with. Your answer is you need to be kick-ass because you're going to get some really good people. All right, no pressure. Okay. You're like, ah, oh, damn it. Really? <laughs> um, but what I'm curious about, um, because I just read about this, I didn't realize it. So do you have like t-shirts to say my great-grandfather disrupted the industry and now I am? Or you just don't go that egotistical because your wife's like, hell no? Oh, you mean with my yeah. great-grandfather and the, and the Putnam Fund? That's just cool. You think about it. That is kind of cool to disrupt an industry and then to disrupt it again. It's pretty I, funky. I, I, There's I, no way I'm the first person that's. No, you're, no, you're not the first person to ask that. I'd say it's definitely part of what's motivated me to do something totally different. Um, yeah, I, I'd say it definitely was, was you know, part of the, the accelerator. It's cool, man. I mean, come on. I mean, you have sons, right? Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Actually, my, and my, my son is named after my grandfather and my great-grandfather. That's, that's the legacy part of that. Yeah. The whole, the whole concept around legacy and disrupting legacy is cool. I, I hope that that my son 
wants to do something different. Yeah. Um, my son's doing something completely different. Yeah. So I think he'd be all right. Yeah. All right. So here's your three questions. All right. I had to go there because I just found that fascinating. Yeah. And I just realized that in their drive over here, by the way. And I was like, that's kind of cool. All right. No pressure. Okay. Here we go. Look back over your career. <laughs> I'm 36. Ready? Come on. You're 36, right. but you, you know, you've had a good career. What's the one thing when you look back, if you could give advice to the, the next person coming up that you go, for the love of God, make sure you do this or don't do this? Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I know what it is. I'd say, um, I, I'd, this is a little bit technical, but there's a playbook for your first pitch deck as an entrepreneur. And you hate using a playbook and you hate doing something by the rules when you're starting your own company, but there are rules. And I learned them by just like having the worst fundraising experience of my life when we started this business, not even realizing that there are ways that you can sort of play the game and and talk the right talk. Honestly, telling my younger self to throw out my own ego and actually listen to the playbook for how startups can get to the next thing, it, it would have saved me like a year of my life. You know, that's actually really good advice because I've been on the side where you're advising, you know? Yeah. And you're telling this person who is a genius, went to MIT, and yeah, yeah. from the product side, it's fantastic. But the pitch side and taking advice, you're like, you really need to turn your ego up. I know you're brilliant, yeah. but you're going to run into a wall. It, it is okay to do things the way they've been done before because you're doing a lot of stuff that's yeah. brand new. Every single piece of your business does not have to be reinvented from the ground up. All right, so the next one. Yeah. Best advice you got? Best advice I ever got. Uh, my father has only given me one piece of advice my entire life. Um, You're not Jewish. <laughs> As a Jewish <laughs> person? Oh, my God. Good for you. Uh, I'm introduction to my mom. And, 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 and it is, uh, uh, before you get in an elevator, uh, just make sure that the elevator car is there after the door is open. Because every once in a while you hear about someone stepping in to an open elevator shaft, and that's a terrible way to go. And that actually applies to a lot of things. And you know what? I don't think, I think he actually meant it yeah. to say don't walk into an elevator shaft. It's a very <laughs> however, New York thing. It's a very New York piece of advice. Uh, however, in my mind, he meant it as a metaphor. We're going to uh, go with that. We're, we're going to run with that. It was a really good one. All right. Last one. This one's easy. Yeah. Looking forward, right? We're acquisitions there. Yeah. And, and it's, you guys are moving forward. A couple years from now, where are you going to be? I think I'll be a plaid. This this thing feels like kind of a rocket ship. And where will right plaid now. be? Where will plaid be? Yeah. I think everyone in America will uh, will know plaid because that is how they interact with the financial world. <laughs>